Hello, and thank you for tuning into my very fresh podcast series that I'm calling Takeout and Takeaways, brought to you by Season 2 of this global pandemic. So, we've been stuck in this social distancing vortex for nearly a year now, and obviously we're all adjusting to this new life, but unfortunately, our local small businesses and restaurants have taken a very, very hard hit. I don't know about you, but I've never wanted anything more than to be able to take a maskless stroll through my favorite neighborhood, pop into a pub or a cafe just to pass the time. But until then, I've decided to try out the next best thing and get my friends to sit down with me for a couple of hours and let me watch them eat. Same thing, right? So the whole idea behind this is not only do I get to live vicariously through them as they hopefully discover a new restaurant in their neighborhood um, or try a new dish, But I get to pick their brains about the things that they've been doing, the things they know that they're good at, creative things, probably. And by the way, these are some friends of mine who I already admire, who I know are doing incredible things and are extremely talented. And I know that I'm going to learn something from these conversations, and I hope that you do too. In this episode, I chat with my friend Shauna K. Salmon, and we reminisce a little bit about our very short-lived careers as private investigators together. Uh, We get into the tremendous work that she's been doing with the Institute for Innovation and Prosecution with John Jay College and her very healthy obsession with yarn. But most importantly, I watched her try Mushu for the first time, which was exhilarating for me. So, a little background, Shauna lives in the Bronx, borderline Mount Vernon area. Um, For me personally, it was quite challenging to find takeout or delivery options in the area. I saw that there were a lot of like fast food options, a lot of Caribbean food options, and I knew that I wanted to provide Shauna with something that she hasn't either had before or from a place that she's never tried before. So my mission here was to broaden her culinary boundaries just a little bit. Um, I'm going to take this time to tell you, do not sleep on your local Chinese restaurants. I know that I was on the other side of the screen watching her eat her food, but it looked really delicious reviews are really great and you know local Chinese restaurants have really taken a hit during this pandemic especially in the beginning and people have this misconception that Chinese food is unhealthy or it has this mysterious ingredient called MSG and let me tell you I'm just gonna bust some myths here MSG is one of the most naturally and not artificially occurring non-essential amino acids MSG occurs naturally in most foods that you enjoy and it's also added in a lot of foods that you eat probably every day So anyway, I hope you enjoy my chat with Shauna and you learn something new. I know I did. And if you get through it, at the end, there might just be a chance to win a gift card to one of your favorite local restaurants, right? Got to give you some incentive to get through it. All right, enjoy. Shauna, I haven't seen you in how many years? So freaking wrong. This pandemic ruined all our plans. (laughs) For real. Like, okay, so even before COVID, when did I see you last? It was after New Orleans. Yeah, it was definitely after New Orleans. We went... I feel like we saw each other a couple times because we went to dinner a bunch. Yeah. yeah. We've definitely had our fair share of dinners together. Yep. But honestly, a year has gone by. Like, and oh, nothing. I know. I can't keep track of anything I did before this year. I know. It's so sad. That's honestly why, part of the reason why I came up with this idea, because I, like, get to at least see people that I know are, like, stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, I was fine in the beginning. It was fine, like, being home. Like I, don't have an ex- like, I don't have an excuse to cancel on people, you know? But, like, now it's like, let's, let's, let's get, let's get life going. 
Did you make a drink? A mint julep. It is. It looks beautiful, though. This is my uh, bourbon sidecar. Ooh. You know, it's so I, funny. I never did a bourbon. Never was a bourbon person or no. brown liquor at all. And now quarantine has changed me. That's so It's elevated my taste. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. I'm not good at making drink uh, recipes at all. If something's like, oh, you need these three ingredients, I don't even look at the measurements. I'm like, oh, okay. And I just like dump them in and I'm like, well, this tastes okay. Yeah. And I took, I took a cocktail class early on in the pandemic. I was like, I'm going to learn some stuff. Right. And I learned that you actually like need to follow the recipe. Like there's like a chemical reaction that happens with the sugar and the alcohol and it just like changes everything. Didn't know that. <laughs> Respect you it now. Every day. <laughs> you learn something new. Uh, anyway. So do you, would you like to tell our hundreds of thousands of listeners um, how how it is that we met? How it is that we know each other? Oh, man. A lifetime ago, um, <laughs> we went to school together in Connecticut. And we both worked for the same um, person at a private investigation firm. And it's Gabby just... took me under her wing and saved me because, ooh, that place would have drove, drove me nuts. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I was thinking, oh. like, so we technically went to school together but I had no idea that you went to school with me mm-hmm. until you walked into that place that place and I will say that we all like we all went through some shit working in that establishment but you probably had it you probably had it the worst I think of, when I think about it I just think like I think I would have quit that job were it not for the people that I yeah. worked with like yeah. I love, I love you. I loved all everyone else except for a few select people. But yeah. looking back on it now in a different work environment, oh my god, was that abusive? So abusive. Like the and only reason we put up with it was is. because we had each other. Literally, the only reason. Yeah, and, and as, then and as, as soon as, as like some of us left, it was just like a cascade of people <laughs> leaving. Oh fuck you! You're cool. And fuck you! I'm out. So this is the point where I would be like, oh, so you don't know what I got you, right? But anyway. Well, I didn't peek. I have no idea what it is. It smells good, though. Okay, so I'm glad because I took from I took little bits and pieces from our experiences together, which we, you know, we ate a lot in New Haven, and we ate good. Like everything that we had was was decent. That's the one thing I miss about living in New Haven: the food. Yeah, yeah. I definitely gained. I yo-yoed hard when I worked there. Ooh, I gained so much weight. All those, oh my god, what was it? What was it that we used to order all those times? Were like steak sandwiches? Oh, the cheese steak. No, it was the the tri-tip sandwiches. Yes, and also the um the chicken the chicken fillet sandwiches oh, and yeah. the arepas. I miss arepas. the arepas. <laughs> I took Brenna recently. We only were there for like a night, but we definitely hit up both Barracuda and Bar in one night, and I was like, we. If only Sandra's was open. I remember such a fond memory when we went to go pick up Sandra's and we came back and they had forgotten something, right? Like they didn't give us something. And so they, mm-hmm. they brought us like some peach cobbler and a banana pudding. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I literally shed a tear because <laughs> it was so delicious. Their banana pudding is so good. Oh, man. Was, no, their food was unnatural. You know what? I am always regret that I've never had food. Is the um, Was it Long Wharf? Where all the food trucks are. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've never gone. 
Yeah, I, I would have. A, I think I went, but I always had a hard time deciding because there is just like one taco truck after the other after the other, and I'm like, how am I supposed to decide? Yeah. I wonder how many places of those survive though. Ooh, yeah. I was thinking about that the other day because there are like a lot of like hole in the wall places that I love in the city that I'm like afraid aren't going to be there mm-hmm. when all this is said and done. Have you been like out to the city often? Well, I work because um, I work at John Dam in Midtown. Yeah, but. I haven't since we shut down. I have not been into the city since March of last year. Really? Mm-hmm. Damn. So you yeah, have you we have not go... even been allowed in our office. Oh wow. Yeah, I've been at home for like ten months. <laughs> How are the places by you, COVID-wise? Like, are they surviving? Um, some of them are, but I mean, some of them weren't doing great to begin with because the area that I live in isn't known for like its restaurants. Mm. It's, like, mostly, like, small, there's, like, a lot of Caribbean cuisine around here. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, a couple of Chinese food places and, pep- like, pizza. But it's not, like, really known yeah. for, like, their restaurant. It's mostly, like, bodegas. And they're fine. So, Dan, that's crazy. You haven't been to the city at all? Yeah, I've only been into Manhattan, like, twice. It's pretty, I don't want to say dead. Because it's not dead. Manhattan's not dead. But it's pretty sad to see all these places that are doing what they Mm got to do to have outdoor seating yeah i'm still too nervous to go to like restaurants i just don't trust people it's like here's the thing i trust me i know what what i'm doing i don't trust everyone else around me yeah and because i live with like high-risk people like my stepdad has asthma my mom's diabetic so i'm just like you know what take out i will do take out i will support my local business by like buying stuff and bringing it home but i just i'm too nervous of a person to sit at a, like sit down yeah oh, i need some purell please i need some purell oh look at that brenna's delivering me food thanks bae so i guess it's only fair that we uh we get to see what you have in your in your bag yeah, look, yes. <laughs> <laughs> how excited i get about food all right what do we have here Oh, there's a lot of stuff in here. <laughs> All right, we got some rice. Are these wontons? Let me see. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I have just successfully dropped all kinds of sauce packets. <laughs> Wait, what is this? Okay, I'm here for it. I've never had it. Okay, so... Curry sauce. Oh, I love curry. Yeah, so what you picked up was the pancakes. There's pancakes in there? So you take the pancake and you put the mushu pork fillings in it and you roll it up like a little burrito. Oh. Oh, yes. This makes me happy. And then I ordered you the extra curry sauce just in case you want to do a little dippy dap. And I do love curry sauce. There you go. Some rice. Ooh, this is going to be also very good in the morning when I have it for breakfast. All right. So I got the pancake thing open. So I just scooped some of the... Just chicken yeah. in and then just go to town. So you got the pancake the open curry and sauce. you just scoop, yep, scoop, scoop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Did you dip the curry sauce curry yet or sauce. no? Yeah, I'm going to yeah, try it right now. It. Hmm. It has like a, a little bit of a sweetness to it. The sauce? It's really good. Uh, yeah, the sauce of the chicken with the veggie. <laughs> Mama like. All right, let's see with the curry sauce, which smells so good, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's the move? Damn, that curry sauce is definitely the move. 
Yes. Oh yeah, that might be my favorite thing. There we go. That's what I like to hear. Success. Yeah, this is lit. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's hit on this. You have been working from home, correct? Mm-hmm. Would you like to share a little bit about the type of work that you do? Because you are doing the work. We From should all be appreciating right now. So um, what Gabby's referring to is I work at a nonprofit at John Jay College. It's the Institute for Innovation and Prosecution. And our whole focus is prosecutorial reform. So we bring together prosecutors, formerly incarcerated people, academics, uh, community organizers and we talk about um the high level things like uh racial <clears throat> equity uh re-entry um decarceration like how we can get more people out of jail and then we talk about policy points that prosecutors can adopt that will make their offices one run better two will cause them to prosecute less people and to change the office culture of their office so we've focused on things from like officer-involved fatalities, um, diversion, trauma-informed prosecution, um, procedural justice, then the list, like racial equity things, it list goes on and on. And this last week has really uh, thrown our work for a loop. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, the last year itself, like the, the protests over the summer, have really changed what my job has looked like and um, how the prosecutors we work with are looking at their their work. So it's a lot of a lot of changes happening. A lot of them welcome, some of them not so much. But so have you seen we'll see just how. more pressure over the last year, or is this something that has been building up? I mean, not to like date this too hard, but did you work with them pre-Trump? So I got I got my job literally the day after Trump was elected. Okay. Like, he was elected, I was at my new job the next day. Yeah, okay. Which, yeah. So, I mean, the thing is that we've seen is, okay, before the past year, before the Black Lives Matter protests and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, the, our prosecutors were talking about these things. They were talking mm -hmm. about uh, racial equity and the disparities and um, the relationship between police and communities of color and their relationships to communities of color, specifically Black people. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was very much an inter external thing. It was never much uh, like introspection about how they themselves were contributing to the harm of communities of color, Black people, right? Mm -hmm. So after this past year, we've had more prosecutors talk about their own roles. A lot of them were questioning their own roles in the system and how they were they were perpetuating a harm, even though they believed their job to be righteous and they felt really strongly about the work that they were doing, which I totally get. But we also had prosecutors who at the top level didn't realize the identity struggles that their prosecutors of color, specifically black prosecutors were going through, especially over the last year of being black and having these traumatic things happen around them while also participating in a system that perpetuated these harms. Right. So a lot of them now are being much more introspective in how they can do better with their staff and with their community. And I think they're, especially with the like defund movement 
a lot of them are just thinking about one their own relationships with police mm-hmm. what that looks like their own budgets what that mm-hmm. police budgets look like in their system and what community actually needs because they're now they're realizing and some might say it's a bit late myself included but now they're realizing that there's more than just policy like you can implement policies all the time but if you don't have the culture to support that then it's not going to go anywhere so yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting time but i had a question for you mm-hmm. when did you turn because like we, we kind of went to school for the same thing so when did you decide like oh cooking was more like your thing like that you wanted to do it so i don't know if you know this but after I um, left said investigation firm, I worked for a uh, preventive service agency. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, so I worked there. Why for you doing like you were doing like mitigation services? Yeah, too? so it was during that time mm-hmm. that I got in touch with somebody who I actually had met at that firm, um, who said, you know, I need a partner, I need somebody who can sort of like train under me just in case I move on to another position, like, you can take on my cases. So she trained me for a little bit, and it turned out, like, she got the position sooner than expected. So I picked up a lot of her cases, and I was able to, like, get my name out, and more people, more attorneys hired me to to do their, um, their mitigation reports. And I picked up a good amount of defendants who I, like, honestly, like, for me, as somebody who... As you know, like, I spent a lot of time on one-on-ones. Like, with defendants, like, I would go away to, like, the prisons and, like, spend a lot of time with these people. Like, I would, like, uh-huh. sit down with them. I would be gone for, like, a whole day just to, like, you know, talk to them. Um, and I sort of, like, brought that into my mitigation career. And this time it was more intense because I was meeting their families. You know, I was meeting the the mom, the dad, the grandmother, you know, the sisters, the brothers, you know, the sons, the daughters of all these people. And for me, it kind of like never got easier to tell them Mm -hmm. that either like due to the Supreme Court decision or due to this and that, like they're either pleading to life or, you know, they're going to get the death penalty. Yeah, you know, and for me, like that sort of like it's it chipped away at me for a while, and I I had met this kid who um, I still keep in touch with him every once in a while, but he was really lovely, and he had been um he had been arrested when he was like seventeen or eighteen years old, and he was just like in a bad position, and I spent so much time with him because his attorney was like really great, a private attorney, really amazing, and he basically said to me, you know, spend this time with him. Like, let me know who he really is because he was a little bit, like, uh, like developmentally uh-huh. sort of, like, behind. Um, that was his initial interpretation, but he really wasn't. He was just a little bit, you know, a little bit slower than usual, but he was determined and he had, like, found a love for, like, everything. He's like, yeah, I love cooking, I love reading, I love doing everything. Everything that wasn't, like, math and science, like, he loved you know, and he, like, really excelled at it, and I spent a lot of time with him, and, like, between that and, like, the passing of my father, like, it was all of these things that sort of added up that was, like, life is too short. Yeah. You know, it's, like, life is too short for me to put myself in a position where I'm constantly, like, saying sorry to all these people for the criminal justice system failing them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like, it's it's no longer about what the system does for them. You know, it's, like, it's, like, what they do to them. I keep in touch with a lot of these people that, like, I was able to serve and, you know, I provide them with resources no matter what because I know that, um, 
like they still need employment and they still need services and all that stuff but like mm -hmm. ultimately i would much rather be in a position where where i could provide employment to people you know and like yeah no i, I get that a lot because so our um the recognition that i work for uh created like this program it's called inside criminal justice it's where like prosecutors go into prisons and they uh, do a college course together it was like sponsored with columbia and our organization and i my old boss asked me to ta for the class and i was like okay i'll do it fine and i liked it a lot but the problem was i was getting calls from my students because they like this thing was happening to them where they couldn't get access to their id or this thing was happening they couldn't get a job because like after they'd been released right and it's like i <clears throat> don't have the one I don't have the capabilities of like being a social worker that's not my training and two it's a lot of emotional labor that you have to do right in that kind of like situation where someone is calling you because they need you and you want to help them but like you you may not have right the capacity what they're look yeah you might not have what they're looking for as such I, I totally get of like constantly saying sorry or like I don't I don't know or there's nothing I can do kind of deal. That's like when I was asked to do it again, I was like, I can't because you become attached to people, but you leave. Yeah. They're still in there. There's something to yeah. be said about the people that continue to do this work and like, God bless them because just like doctors, especially during this time, like who have to continuously tell their love, mm -hmm. like, you know, family's loved ones that they're not going to make it. You know, it's people who are so disconnected cannot even fathom the idea of dealing yeah. with that every single day. I mean, it's why there's like a mental health crisis with the uh, healthcare pro uh, providers right now. Right. Like, it's it's really bad. But it's just, I think sometimes people don't realize that there is a, a level of emotional labor that goes into doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Like, because you don't have all the answers. Like, sometimes we'll get like calls and emails from people who are like incarcerated or their families, and it's not the kind of work that we do. Do we not offer legal advice? And it sucks because these people are, like, just looking anywhere for help because right. the system's, like, chewed them up and spit them out. And it's just, like, it sucks when you know there's nothing that you personally can do right. to help someone. And I just think, like, a lot of people who are, like, interested in doing this kind of work have to maybe passionate about it. But you also got to, like, assess whether or not you have the emotional bandwidth to do this kind of work especially yeah. if you're a person of color especially if you're a person of color this is traumatizing speaking of you mental know? health speaking let's, of. Talk about, let's talk about your yarn my beautiful yarn that is a crazy obsession that people now respect me for yes but now yeah. you're actually like doing it you're 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 selling what are you selling so i sell uh patterns i also uh, made a couple pieces by commission Okay. So, yeah, it's like a new thing for me because this is not before this pandemic. I did not do my own designs, did not sell stuff. Like this is a pandemic thing, like a quarantine thing that happened. So yeah, now I'm um and actually in the process of doing another design that is being released next week, and I'm very excited about it. But yeah, mm. so yeah, I got more into. I'm always been really into like my knitting and stuff, but I got more into it because I was spending so much damn time at home. So Wait, so what do you mean being well. released? Like, it's going to be done next week, or it's being launched next week? So, the pattern, I'm hoping, 
I'm in the middle of working on it. Should be out by next Thursday. We shall see. Um, mm-hmm. Grading is being because I'm so new to math. <laughs> it takes a longer time. Wait, what does that mean? So when you do like uh, patterns, you have to grade them so that they fit all different sizes outside of your um, size. So okay. it's like a huge Excel sheet that you have to put in all of the like standard U.S. Um, or you do it by whatever country you're in, the standard sizes for women, men. Then you have to put in a whole bunch of math, how many stitches, how, ma- how much yarn they're going to need, how many rows. Um, if you want something that's going to fit this bust, how much, how wide it's it's really a lot it's not it's like i'm getting the hang of it but i'm pretty new and i've always sucked at math so damn that's a lot Mm -hmm. good for you i'm excited about it so this was you like learning how to do all of this stuff yeah so one of my favorite uh designers alexi she i've been like doing I've always uh, supported her. I've always, like, anytime she's dropped a new design or a kit, I've always bought it and made it, whatever. And I told her, um, so she had created her own yarn and had sent me some um, to test out, and I made uh, a sweater off of it. And she was like, you need to, like, do a pattern. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Like, I've never uh, done that before. She's like, I will help you. Just write the pattern and send it to me, and I will, like, help you grade it, and we'll, like, figure this out together. So that's what she did, and it got a lot of attention. I made, I made a nice penny off of the pattern. I'm still making money off of it. So nice. I was like, oh wait, this is a thing that I can do. And I was like, all right, I'll so give what, it a try. What does it mean to buy a pattern? Like you buy the grading and everything along with it? No. So you buy the fin. The, a pattern is pretty much it's just an instruction. Um, okay. Instruction guide on how to make this particular garment. So all you get is the instructions, the grading and stuff the designer has because they needed it to make the pattern for you. But when when you purchase a pattern, it's literally just the instructions on how to make it. Wow. That's like, yeah. that leaves some real creative freedom for you. Yes. Because I'm so used to doing other people's designs. So this is like the first time that I'm having to push myself to think outside the box. Um so that people are interested. And lately I'm on a 90s kick. So we'll see how that works out. I mean, your patterns are pretty dope. I will say that. Thank you. So when did you when did you start with your knitting? Um, I start, So I learned how to crochet first. And that What's was in difference? college. Uh, crochet is one needle. Uh, knitting mm. is two needles. And it's different um, stitching. But I learned... Catherine taught me how to crochet, actually. Our... I want to say junior year or senior year of college because we were living together I think as our senior year in college she taught me how to crochet and then I was obsessed with it and I was like oh I want to teach myself how to knit so I watched a bunch of YouTube videos and the rest is history <laughs> so, so I've been doing this for like 2014 so six years actually no a little bit longer than like seven seven years Seven years, so it took you like six years to profit off of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I it think about six, the money, it took six years in a pandemic for you to profit off of it. Yep. <laughs> and I've been talking about it for so long. I was like, you know, I'm gonna make my own pattern. I'm gonna do my own designs. Blah blah blah. blah. Never did it. I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. Blah blah blah. And then I wasn't busy anymore. I was stuck in one place. And I was like, I really have no excuse at this point. 
did you know what you were doing and how you were going to go about it beforehand? Um, no, I luckily the woman I was talking about, Alexi, she walked me through it. Okay. So, and I figured out, I was like, okay, I should probably build up, um, this is going to sound so influency and I'm so sorry to people who are listening, <laughs> but I had to build up my like reach on like social media. I'm so sorry to people who are listening to this, but it is a part of the, like the game of if you build up uh, more of your like social media reach or you get enough bigger designers who like talk about you, then you get more attention Then more people will buy your pattern. Mm-hmm. And I've had a company who I pretty much buy like, 80% of my yarn is from this company and they reached out to me to start a working relationship. So that's awesome. I feel pretty good about it now. Yeah. Well, so I'm, so I'm making my way slowly. So as somebody who like, obviously you see my photos and you know, I post to like my whatever, 300 and something, almost 400 followers, whatever. And I get um, engagement from maybe like a hundred or so for me to achieve some sort of level of success. My next milestone is like some place like you're at how can someone get to that is it like engaging with other influencers yeah so what I found is I started out before I posted my first pattern I was at like maybe 500 and something followers okay maybe and I think I'm at like 15 or 1600 and that happened in like a two-month span I think like I think when I posted my pattern was like in I want to say October, November, but I'm not not sure right now. But <clears throat> a lot of it was tagging um, people that I kn- knew, one, were associated with what I was posting, but also that I knew had huge followings, who I like knew post would re- repost what I had put up, and then also tagging companies um, that I bought from or like that kind of stuff. That's gotten me an influx of knitters who didn't know that I existed before. Okay. So it's just like, you just have to like engage with people who are relate. Don't spam. Cause I actually hate when people do that. Do not spam yeah. people. But yeah. just like, if it's related to what you're posting, you might as well like tag someone who you admire, who you were like, Oh yeah, this, I did this because this reminded me of such as whatever the hell that they posted a week ago or whatever. So that's how I've, done it and i've found it's pretty successful but i think it's also with whatever content you're putting out people are super interested in the content they're gonna yeah and i feel the knitting community is pretty like (laughs) it's it's small it's close knit small it's close close knit pun intended but like it's big but it's small it's like everyone knows who the top people are in that community in like this community so like if you can kind of get in a relationship with those people and they can they support you too it does make it a little bit easier yeah so did you just spend a lot of time like kind of scoping out people who you knew were accessible yeah so i've met a few of them in person like i've gone to a few this is oh my god i'm not embarrassed but it's just so funny talking out loud i've gone (laughs) to a few (laughs) there it is there it is I've gone to like knitting meetups in the city where it's just like people from all over the city and like um some big designers host a meetup. You go to a bar, you get food and drinks and you just like knit and talk and it's like you meet people that way. So and also one of the good things about <clears throat> the knitting community is everyone wants to give everyone credit for their work. So if mm. I made a sweater, I'm never gonna say, Oh, I made this sweater 
and not credit where I got the design from and who the like who the designer is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what helps people build their relationships because you're constantly tagging designers on their own patterns and they want to showcase that people are making their patterns so then they're going to in turn showcase that you created this thing based on something that they created so you're all looking out for each other yeah which is it's nice and i mean one of the good things from the last year is that more black uh, designers are getting elevated Mm -hmm. so it's yeah i think i mean not it's not without its own problem just like any other community but I yeah. like it. That's cool. What about like when it comes to like figuring out your profit? Like you do you buy yarn on your own dime, I'm assuming. Um mm-hmm. it depends on the project. So the person who taught me how to grade, she says if you have your own website and you have advertisers, then you can make things free because you're getting paid through other ways. But mm-hmm. for me, because I'm just putting out individual patterns and I don't have a website, I think it's like Five to seven dollars. No, it's like five to ten bucks for a graded pattern, and it just depends on, I guess, the type of the type of garment and how long like it took you, and you just have to factor that in. So, like right now, I sell most of my things for like five dollars, between five and like six bucks, and I guess as you get more people, you might raise it. I don't really know. I'm new to that part of it. But yeah, the the pricing part, you just you don't want to make your work free if right. you're not. There's no other income. Plus, it takes time shipping. But you I'm also don't want to lowball yourself, right? Yeah, I try not to, but I also have that. I have that problem where I'm yeah. like, oh, but you know, like I want to be reasonable, and I don't want to. But at the same time, I have to think about like how much time did you spend doing this thing did see was it your, was it on your story i think it was that you were like watching something and fucking doing this thing knitting away that yeah, was, I was watching the georgia right now that was yeah. crazy those that's was that like fast forwarded or was that in real time no that's real time that's me knitting that's is that normal yeah once you build up enough like experience you can do it without looking and then you can you get pretty fast because it's literally just one motion you're doing over and over again. That was wild though, what I saw you doing. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of people were like, wait, a couple people asked me if I had sped it up, and I was like, no, that's just I was I watched it hand. like four or five times. <laughs> wanna see me run to that mountain and back? You wanna see me do it again? So like if someone like myself wanted to mm-hmm. wants to commission you, yes. how how do I go about doing that? Um, most people just slide into my DMs on Instagram. Are you and on Etsy? Just like, I'm not on Etsy. Um, I only have, so so far there's only one place where I sell my stuff. I should probably expand. I just, part of it is you have to pay, you have to pay fees to sell your stuff. So um, I'm starting with this one platform right now. It's not like a crazy, it's not crazy fees, but it's just like starting with one platform um, that most people will gravitate to who are in the community. Most people have makes it like easier. And also, there's like the platform that I use, Ravelry. It's just it has a whole bunch of other aspects to it that just make it easier to help people too who like might need help mm. with like whatever my patterns doing. But most people, if they're interested in whatever I'm making and want one, they just like message me on Instagram and like, oh, I want to commission this. Like, okay. And how long does it take you to complete something like a sweater? 
depends on the design. If it's like a really straightforward sweater, like a week. A week. Oh, wow. I have this like infinity scarf that my mom made me when she mm-hmm. was into knitting. It took her like eight months and it was like this big. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't wear it. <laughs> you know, but I love her, so I keep it. <laughs> so for People you to say like- a week for a sweater <laughs> truly brings perspective. <laughs> the hustle that she didn't have. <laughs> but, uh, Shauna, thank you so much for chatting with me. I'm definitely going to order from this place again. And that's what I like to hear. So I just want to take this time to thank Shauna once again for chatting with me. The whole conversation was like almost three hours long because we hadn't seen each other in so long. But I hope that you learned something. She definitely inspired me to keep pushing, keep getting creative. I mean... As you heard, it took her like six years to actually start monetizing her knitting creations. And you know what? She has some really beautiful work. So if you haven't checked her out, please go check her out on Instagram. It is at aka Shayna. That's aka S-H-A-Y-N-A. Check out her Ravelry. Buy her sweater from her. Whatever you can to support her. She makes some really, really beautiful patterns. You can also check out prosecution.org to learn more about the organization that she works for. Uh, They're doing a really great job. And in the meantime, please remember to keep supporting your local restaurants and small businesses. Please, please, please. And if possible, please order directly from the restaurant to avoid any unnecessary fees from Seamless and DoorDash and all those other companies. Um, And don't forget to tip. Obviously, restaurants are not only essential to our communities for the food that they provide to us, but also provide jobs they provide opportunity they provide growth so we need to really really invest in our communities one more thing if you haven't already checked out restaurantsact.com please do so just to find out what you can do locally in your community to help out any little thing really counts and by the way if you're interested the restaurant that i ordered from is called dragon china um it is on wilder ave in the bronx if you're interested i will put their address and phone number in the description wherever it may be And last but not least, if you were able to identify the three very random audio clips that were scattered throughout our conversation, and you can DM me on Instagram, at Gabby Cosina, and if you're the first one to do so, you could win a gift card to a local restaurant near you. That's my little way of giving back. So in the meantime, thank you so much again for listening, and I hope that you tune into my next one. It's going to be even better. Production value, same but conversation will be something that you don't want to miss out on. So peace out, and I don't have a sign-off yet, but, you know, just keep doing what you're doing.